Well, hey, Phoenix Bible Church, it is so good to be with you. And I can tell you that more and more I'm longing to be with you in person. And uh, you need to know we're planning and praying along those lines of doing that, hopefully soon. And uh, you can pray with us. We're, we're looking at kind of the three C's that we've talked about, the cases in Arizona, the capacity of the hospital and the council of uh, other churches and people in our city and some of you and our staff and our volunteers. And, and we're still praying through that. But I can tell you that we are planning to gather and, and we are doing things like our, our live stream is getting finalized so that our next step can be inviting volunteers in this room. Really excited about that and uh, coming to you live on a Sunday in worship. And so we're excited for that next step. And then the step after that would be inviting you back in uh, to worship with us. And so uh, thank you for praying for us. Uh, we've said many times there's no playbook for this. And so thank you for your prayers. I personally covet them. I need them. And so I thank you for praying. Uh, I thank you for fighting for community. You know, a few weeks ago, the State of the Church sermon, if you didn't watch that, go back and watch that. One of the big applications from that was fight for community. It's worth it. Uh, it may be awkward or hard over Zoom or mask or whatever, but, but fight for it. Thank you for doing that. I, I've loved hearing stories of you doing that. And thank you for faithfully giving. Uh, we just sent you a financial update across the PBC app. If you don't have that, download it. Uh, but just halfway through our year, by God's grace, we are in a good place financially. And so thank you for, for faithfully and sacrificially giving. If you're not doing that, we invite you into to, to that as an act of worship. And, and just so you know, that fuels the mission of God as we think about, even in a pandemic, as more and more people, more than ever before, need to, to know the gospel and live out the gospel that we're expanding, we're advancing the gospel in this time, and you're giving fuels that. So thank you for praying. Thank you for fighting for community. Thank you for giving. I know it's a weird time. I'm frustrated too, but I love you, church. I miss you, and I thank you just for being the church. Um, today, uh, as we are the church today, we're wrapping up our series, Jesus and Justice. And this series is a little bit different as I even planned it. It's really kind of three points of the same sermon. And so if you missed one of the sermons, you kind of are going to feel a little bit lost. So if you missed one of those, go back, watch it on YouTube, listen to it on our website. But we talked about the, the priority of justice week one. Uh, then we talked about last week, the people of justice. Today, we're talking about the peace of justice. Earlier this week, I was at a Smoothie King with all three of my kids. And so just try to picture us ordering up our, our healthy and some not healthy smoothies with masks on. I got my three kids there. It's just me. And uh, we're ordering those smoothies and then we're waiting on the smoothies. And there's only one other guy in the whole place. And that one guy kind of leans over to me. You could tell he was observing me with my three kids. He leans over to me and says this. He says, are those all yours? My kids, right? And then he said, and I said, yes, they're my kids, yes, they're all my kids. And then he said this, he said, man, that's got to be hard. How do you do that? And then he said this, it was really interesting. He said, I got a buddy with some kids. Kind of like when you have a buddy who's in the Marines, right? Like I got a buddy who does that. He's told me about what that's like. It's hard. And he's even told me, this was the best part. He's even told me, hey, you should get yourself some kids, and I'm just kind of confused by the conversation, but I kind of get what he's saying. And I just responded with this. You know what, man? It is hard. Parenting is difficult, but the benefits outweigh the hardships. Right? It's, it's hard, but it's worth it. 
You see, as we talk about justice, you need to know it's just hard talking about justice. Amen? I mean, have any of you felt that with me these last three weeks? It's hard talking about justice. It's a lot harder even to do justice. But let me just tell you, it's worth it. The benefits greatly outweigh the difficulties. And the reason that is, is because as we pursue justice, what it leads to is peace. So we're talking about today the peace of justice. What makes the the hardship of justice, the difficulty of doing justice, what makes it worth it is that we're ending up in a place of peace. And so I'm going to give you a big idea for where we're going today right off the top. So if you take notes, you can write this down. Uh, The big idea is this, that peacemaking doesn't avoid conflict but enters into it for kingdom purposes and with kingdom practices, all right? So we're just going to break that down into two statements, two points as we go along here. So our first point, first half of the big idea is this, peacemaking doesn't avoid conflict, but enters into it. Uh, As we look at peace biblically, it goes back to this word called shalom. And shalom isn't just merely the absence of conflict, it's holistic peace. It's relational peace, it's emotional peace, it's spiritual, it's even eternal peace. That's the biblical idea of peace or shalom. And as we look at our Bibles, we had that kind of perfect peace, shalom, in the very beginning. But the bad news is it only lasted two chapters, right? Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, the first injustice happens and occurs with sin against the holy God. And it fractures that shalom between man and God. But it doesn't just fracture it between man and God vertically, it fractures it horizontally. And that happens in Genesis 3. We see it in Genesis 4 with the first murder, right? It escalates quickly. There's no longer shalom. There's no longer justice and peace. There is grave injustice, And then we continue to read Scripture, and we see that ripple out from there. But then we see Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, enter into humanity, enter into the injustice to restore that peace, to restore that shalom. And as we look at Jesus and we see a model of what peace truly is, I just want to point out four things, because I know some of us talk about peace. We think about kumbaya. We think about selling ice cream or just making everybody happy and and just gentle, soft words. And as we look at peace, the way Jesus lives out peace, it's a little bit different than that, right? And so as we talk about shalom and peace, I want to lay a picture for you in Jesus. Uh, The first thing is this. As we see Jesus lead the way in peace and shalom, he takes initiative. Uh, We already mentioned it. He quite literally doesn't avoid the conflict, No, he enters in on ground zero. He comes to the earth. He's born in a barn. He enters into the oppression, the injustice. He comes to it. He doesn't stay up in heaven away from it, avoiding it. So he initiates in this peace. Second thing is he breaks down walls. Jesus makes peace, but first he has to break down some walls. Ephesians 2.14 says it this way. For he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus, as he makes peace, he initiates, he breaks down walls, and then we see, thirdly, he breaks down walls, but not at the expense of others. 
right? He's not breaking down walls and people are getting injured. He's breaking down walls and it's to the expense of himself. We see that in Colossians 1.20, that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, right? It was to the expense of him. So Jesus Peace according to Jesus, the way he lives it out is he initiates, he breaks down walls, not at the expense of others, but his own expense, and then he builds bridges. He builds bridges uh, across what it seems like impossible divides. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2, that while we were dead in our sin, lifeless and cold, while we were dead, there's that kind of ginormous gap between us and God that we're made alive in Christ. We go from death to life. He bridges what seems like an impossible gap. So Jesus lives out shalom, peace. And we see that he doesn't just live it out himself. He invites us to live it out with him. Matthew 5, verse 9, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You see, one of the defining characteristics of you and I, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a child of God, is that we're peacemakers. We pursue the shalom, the peace that Jesus pursued. And we're peacemakers just like he was, not peacekeepers. Do you see the difference? We do things like he did. We initiate. We don't avoid the conflict. We don't not talk about the hard issue. No, we enter into it. We initiate, we go towards the conflict, but it's so we can break down the walls of hostility just like Jesus did. And it's not just so we can break down walls and and wreak havoc, it's so that we can restore peace and build bridges. And, And we may have to sacrifice just like Jesus did to do that. But that's the kind of peace making we do that is modeled after our peacemaking God. Do you see it? So this is the kind of peace that we're pursuing. As we fight against injustice, the result we're after is peace, shalom, peacemaking. That's where we're headed. And we need to know the result so we know the route to get there. You, You see, here's what I know. A lot of people are talking about justice, injustice in our day. It's a popular topic on the news, on social media. You've been talking about it. Everybody's talking about justice. But, But some people are pursuing justice for their personal agenda, for their personal opinions, for their political frameworks. Right? Not so with the believer in Jesus. No, we pursue justice. We speak out against injustice. We do justice to pursue kingdom purposes, which is peacemaking. So if we're doing it in any other way, as kingdom citizens, as Christ followers, we've missed the point of justice. It should lead us to peace, the kind of peace that Jesus models for us. Now, you need to know this is hard. It's hard, but it's worth it. It's hard to talk about justice this way. It's much harder to do justice this way, but it's worth it. And and we see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? I mean, how many times was Jesus criticized by all sides? Jesus ended up being killed by all sides because of his way of justice and peacemaking. 
Why should we think it's any different for us? It's going to be hard. Listen, I've needed to remind myself of this. Over the last six months of a pandemic, over the last few months of just racial injustice coming to the surface and being more of a conversation, appropriately so, over the last three weeks of this series, I felt this, right? That this is hard, right? And just to be honest, can I be honest with you as your pastor real briefly? Well, I'm going to be. So here we go. The binary culture that we are in makes seeking biblical justice and biblical peacemaking even harder. All right? Have you felt this? If you, if you say you're for one thing, then you must be against the other thing. I remember just a few weeks ago, a police officer, a friend of mine, she reached out to me and she was really hurt by me and, and some other people and just was explaining, hey, hey, do you not realize, everybody's talking about racial injustice, do you not realize as a police officer, I'm out there, like there's more than the Breonna Taylors, there's more than the George Floyds, there's more than all these names, like I'm out there pursuing these cold cases of black people that were killed, and you're not talking about those names, and nobody else is talking about those names, what about those injustices? And she said, you know, I'm on the front lines, people are posting about this on social media, I'm out there doing something, and I feel hurt, and I feel like nobody's with me, she's a friend of mine, and so I had to hear that. And I had to respond to that and tell her and even ask her, hey, have I said something to communicate to you specifically or to other police officers that I don't value you, that I don't think you're on the front lines pursuing justice, that, 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 that I don't appreciate you? Have I, have I done that? And she said, well, no, I, I didn't see anything like that from you. I just, I feel this way. And, and the reason she felt that way is because I had said something about black lives mattering. And so consequently, I must be against all police. And I just told her, man, I'm so glad you reached out to me. I'm so glad we're having a conversation and not a keyboard warrior fight on social media. Because we can actually talk and I can tell you, I so appreciate what you do as a police officer. Just today, we were driving by a few police officers and we did with my kids and we drove by and I rolled down my window and my kids were like, dad, don't do that, that's the police. And I'm like, I know, the police are here to protect us. They're our friends, right? And, and, And I waved to the police officers and I said, hey, we just appreciate what you guys are doing. And I told her that. And I told her that while I did that, simultaneously, I went home and I showed my kids through a book we have about God's great design for diversity and equality. And I taught them that Ethnic inequality is not God's design. And I do both, right? But in our culture, one of the things that makes biblical justice peacemaking hard is the binary, the polarizing culture that we find ourselves in. So can I just tell you, it's hard. But when I look at Jesus, this is the kind of peacemaking biblical justice he's after too. And it was hard for him. A lot of people didn't like him. A lot of people criticized him. They even killed him. And so if it's hard for us, it doesn't mean we pull back. It doesn't mean we pick a certain side. It doesn't mean we fit a cultural category. No, it means we display kingdom purposes all the more. We fight for that, right? Even when it is hard. And so going back to our big idea, peacemaking doesn't avoid conflict but it enters into it for kingdom purposes with kingdom practices. And so as you think about your life, as you look at the way Jesus pursued peace 
for kingdom purposes and that it was hard, do you see, as you see injustice around you, do you see yourself leaning towards passive, artificial peace, defensive, cultural, artificial peace, or do you see yourself being a biblical peacemaker? Where do you find, is, is it a little bit hard for you? One of my favorite quotes is, uh, if, if you want everybody to like you, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. <laughs> I, I think you could say, if, hey, if you want to be a biblical peacemaker, don't expect everybody to like you. Like, expect it to be a little bit hard, but expect it to be worth it. And so, as we look at our big idea, we enter the conflict, but we do so for kingdom purposes. And the reason we have to, to know it's for kingdom purposes, because again, as, as we think about as Christians, and as Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, many times as we talk about justice specifically, for whatever reason, because of political agendas, because of personal opinions, many people aren't thinking thy kingdom come, they're thinking my kingdom come. And if we're honest, as we've talked about justice and maybe even tried to do justice, we've been guilty of that as well. We have to pursue as Christians, as Christ followers, as peacemakers, we have to pursue Jesus's kingdom over and above all else, that we pursue kingdom purpose and justice and peace. And as I look at scripture, if I could just sum it up briefly, what are we after with the kingdom purpose of peace and justice? If I could sum it up, I would tell you it's this, that we are after diverse, unified oneness. Diverse, unified oneness. oneness. That's the kingdom purpose we're after in peacemaking and biblical justice. We see it in Jesus' prayer in John 17. He calls us to oneness. He says things like, that they all may be one, as you and I are one, that they may be perfectly one. And what I love about John 17 and his desire for oneness is this wasn't a letter by Jesus. It wasn't a sermon by Jesus. It was a prayer. It was his heartfelt desire, specifically at the end of his life, this prayer in John 17, right before the cross. And what he prays for, not a letter, not a sermon, what he prays for, what he puts his heart into is that you and I would be one. Those were some of his last words, and they were a prayer to his heavenly Father. That's the kingdom purpose. We see it in Jesus. We see it continued in the New Testament church. We see things like uh, that we are called to be a new humanity in Ephesians 2.15. That we are called to be one body, but with different members, different gifts, different personalities, different roles, different ethnicities, all working together as one body. We see it in uh, that we are supposed to be a diverse, unified family, a nation we're even called, and Scripture, citizens of a kingdom. 1 Timothy 3.15, 1 Peter 2.17, 1 Peter 2.9-10. I could go on and on and on, and Scripture actually does. It goes all the way to eternity. Revelation 7, we talked about this last week, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation in eternity is wrapped around the glory of Christ. And as I thought about that, the The picture that Jesus provides of kingdom purpose, of diverse oneness, we see that continue in the New Testament church, and then we see it continue on in eternity. And I thought, hey, why? Why didn't Jesus in eternity, he's going to recreate everything, why not just make everybody Jewish? 
Why not make all, like, get, let's get back to the Old Testament. Why not remove all ethnicity so it's not even a thing? But that's not what Jesus does. Even in eternity, when everything's made perfect and right and just, we still have every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Because that matters so much to to God. That's why Jesus prays for it, some of his last words before his death. That's why the church in the New Testament is built on that purpose. And that's why even we today embody that purpose, because it's that important. This is the kingdom purpose of peacemaking. Let me tell you why you need to know that. Because as we stand up for oppressed people, we are trying to restore that peace and oneness. That's our kingdom purpose. And so if we are divisive, if we're putting certain agendas above others, then we're not pursuing the kingdom purpose that God has created us to pursue. As we find ourselves fitting into cultural categories, but not displaying this kingdom purpose of oneness, then we're missing out on the peacemaking, the justice that God intended. Let me just give you one quick example that I think will help. Earlier this week, the organization Planned Parenthood denounced the racism of their founder. And as I saw that in the news, probably many of you saw that in the news, here's what being a kingdom peacemaker looks like with kingdom purposes. It looks like that we could agree with Planned Parenthood and say with them, racism is unjust we would double down and say it is sin. And we could cheer them on and agree with them and say, yes, that injustice is wrong. While simultaneously rebuking Planned Parenthood for the grave injustice of murdering the unborn, the most vulnerable among us. Now, how can we do both of those at the same time? Because we operate, because we live in kingdom purposes, not cultural categories, right? Because we're biblical peacemakers seeking biblical justice, right? And so we can say both of those things, and you're thinking, well, Tim, that doesn't fit, and Tim, that doesn't work on social media, that doesn't fit to our binary categories. Exactly, because we don't fit into those categories. We fit in the kingdom of God, That's where you and I live if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom, right? And so we have to understand what results are we after with justice? It's peacemaking. And that lays the route for us towards that result, And so our second part of that big idea is this, that we, trying to find my big idea, Peacemaking doesn't avoid conflict, but enters into it for kingdom purposes with kingdom practices, right? So as we know the purpose, then we can operate in the practices that will get us there. And so I just want to give you a few things that as we operate in kingdom practices for peacemaking, we do so not with hostility, but humility, not hostility, but humility. Micah 6, 8, we do justice as we love kindness, as we walk humbly. Second thing is we we do justice. We seek out biblical peace, not out of bitterness, but kindness and forgiveness. Proverbs 21.21 says this, whoever pursues justice, do that, and kindness 
pursue justice with kindness, will find life and honor. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Ephesians 4, 32, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. These are the kingdom practices that get us to the kingdom purpose of justice and peace. Last thing, last practice is we pursue justice and peacemaking, not with retaliation, but reconciliation. Romans 12, 17 says it this way, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, what does that mean? It means as we fight against injustice of abortion, ethnic inequality, racism, sex trafficking, sexual abuse, the poor, the marginalized, whatever the injustice is, as we fight against that, and we should, and we called you last week to do that. We are a people of justice, but as we are the biblical, Christ-like, peacemaking people of justice, we fight against those injustices, not out of bitterness and not in violence, but with redemptive purposes. And if we are doing it out of violence, and if we are doing it out of bitterness, we won't achieve the kingdom purpose that God has called us to because we're not operating in kingdom practices. Do you see that? So this justice, we got to cry out for it. we got to do it, and we do, and Scripture's clear. But the way we do that, and seeking the will of God as we do that, the result of that being peace, is so important. It is what distinguishes us from our culture, and makes us part of the kingdom of Christ. So it practically means, just two examples I could give you a lot. We don't just yell at abortion clinics. We don't just hold up signs outside of abortion clinics and ridicule moms as they walk in those places or the workers that work there. We don't just do that. No, we come alongside women. We care for them. We show them their inherent dignity, value, and worth, and the inherent dignity, value, and worth of the baby in their womb. And we give them options, and we give them support, and we support organizations with our finances. We celebrate life. That's why we do child dedications and baby dedications. We don't want to just prevent abortion. We want to celebrate life as much as possible. We want to celebrate. There are people, families in our church who are actively involved in foster care, who are actively adopting kids. Do you know who those families are? You should. You should be bringing them meals. You should be cheering them on, right? We don't just prevent abortion. We promote life. Right? Because we're using kingdom practices. We're operating in kindness, not just bitterness. We're, after, we, we're not violently pursuing justice. We're not bitterly pursuing justice. We're redemptively pursuing justice. As we fight against the, the sin of racism and the injustice of ethnic inequality, we don't just fight against that or protest that or yell at people or, or loot or all those things. No, we live out oneness. We go to the person of color in our church and we talk with them and we ask them questions and we lock arms with them and we worship Jesus together with them and we pray with them and we empathize with them and we fight for them relationally. We don't just post on social media. We go talk to some real people and promote oneness, diverse oneness. We celebrate that. Listen, that's one of the things that makes the church so beautiful is we lead the way, we should lead the way in justice and peace. 
And if we're doing it another, another way for our personal opinion or our political agenda and not for the kingdom purpose and not with kingdom practices, we've missed the boat. There's a lot of injustice in the world. There just is. We, that's the reason we did this series. There's a lot of injustice in the world. Let me just tell you, we don't need more opinions, but we do need more peacemakers. We need more of the shalom from Genesis 1 and 2. We need to be about restoring that by the power of Jesus Christ, by the example of the Prince of Peace, by His power, His Holy Spirit, His version and vision for priest peace that He prayed for as one of His last words, one of His last prayers, that they all may be one, perfectly one, diverse one, all throughout eternity, one, different tribes, different ethnicities, different races coming together in a just and a peaceful reign of Jesus Christ. We partner with him to do that. I'm inviting you to join me in that. Will you pray with me as we seek that out together? God, I do pray that as Isaiah 9, 6 says, that we would follow the Prince of Peace, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, that you say his peace should have no end. And there's a lot of other ways to do justice and try to get some artificial peace that they'll end next week or next year, but your peace goes on for eternity. Help us to pursue, help us to act, help us to pray for, help us to proclaim that kind of justice and peace. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.